Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. All right. Welcome to the kickoff of season three of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm Jessica, your host, and I am so excited for this episode because my guest is so amazing and smart and funny. Laura Borgescati, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting. I'm very, very happy to be here. And I really love how you pronounce my surname. Uh, <laughs> was I even close? Yes, you were. You oh, were. Good, so you, you say Boyarskaite, but I really like the zh in it. I think that uh, gives it a kick. Yeah. Well, that's the, the American interpretation yes. of a Norwegian <laughs> emphasis of a Lithuanian name. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows what happens? Gets mixed up. But uh, today we're going to talk about the brain and we're going to talk about what happens when we sleep, what happens when we don't sleep, what happens to our brain when we meditate. All of these things that are really cool and uh, of interest to a lot of people, mm. especially in such a crazy, busy time in society right now where like, it seems like we're just going faster and faster and faster yeah, absolutely. and we're trying to multitask more and more and more. And so many people complain of, I'm so tired, I'm so overworked, I have no extra time and my brain isn't working, I'm foggy. No, that's absolutely. And I have to say that I'm very happy to see that meditation and also sleep is becoming, it's getting more and more awareness in everyday life, which I think mm -hmm. is very nice. And even though maybe some of these tendencies are sort of just being being trendy, like I meditate or something, mm. great, great. It brings benefits still. So as long as it works. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and the reason that I'm talking to you about this is because of your background. You're a neuroscientist mm -hmm. and you're finishing up your PhD mm -hmm. at the University of Oslo. And your specialty, in fact, is sleep science, yeah. which is so cool and so amazing. And I know there's a lot of really interesting things happening in that um, area of research right now. But will you just tell us a little bit about what you do? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so basically, we uh, focus on brainwashing. Uh, but literal brainwashing. Uh, so what I mean is that um, some years ago, um, a, a group of researchers in U.S. showed that our brain is cleared from toxins and all the waste products much more efficient when we are sleeping than when we were than when we are awake. But since the sort of the first studies were done in mice and not uh, animals, um, uh, done in mice and not uh, humans, the mechanisms that <sighs> That, uh, sort of carry out this process are not very well understood. So then uh, what we do uh, is to research this brainwashing and mechanisms that uh, govern brainwashing during sleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is it actual physical matter in the brain or toxins? Like yes. physical toxins or what are you talking about? Yes. So basically uh, when we go about our day, uh, we use up energy and our body cells use up energy and they create waste products. And in our body, we have the lymphatic system that clears out these sort of waste products. But the brain does not have a lymphatic uh, system. And... Uh, uh, the question is, so then how does the brain get rid of these uh, waste products? And waste products are just basically what uh, our cells eat and what our cells expel after sort of eating the cell food. And as well, and as well the toxins that enter uh, our brain from the outside or from whatever we consume as well. So it's literal little molecules that mm. are around our cells. Uh, in the brain, our brain cells that need to uh, get cleared out. Uh, and this is especially important for uh, several neurodegenerative diseases, such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and some other types of dementia that are actually caused by a buildup of these waste products in the brain. Mm -hmm. Or to say it more correctly, a buildup of these uh, toxins is highly correlated with these um, diseases. Uh, so if we know more about brainwashing mechanisms, we can target certain uh, therapies and medicines to uh, help uh, clear out the brain better and maybe alleviate uh, uh, these diseases in the patients. Wow. That is yeah. like, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. And 
I have a lot of questions, but the first one that comes to mind has to do with um, you and I had coffee a few months ago, and we were talking about what type of money is available for research related to the brain. And specifically, I was asking, like, okay, if you wanted to study meditation in the brain, mm-hmm. is there money available? And you were like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, not so much. So I wonder, something so uh, necessary and impactful like studying Alzheimer's or Parkinson's Mm. or dementia, is there a lot of money being pushed into that research related to brainwashing and those diseases? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how we say now that sleep and brainwashing is absolutely the sexiest topic in science right now, or (laughs) so to say, neuroscience. Uh, So now you can see sort of the trend that many scientists that are trying to get um, some funding or money for their research just put in the word Alzheimer's or d- dementia in your grant proposal <laughs> and your probability of getting money goes way up. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. But there is a reason. I mean, many people are affected. It's a yeah. terrible, terrible pathology. Uh, so there is a reason why a lot of research is there. Yeah. Mm. So then could we hypothesize, because I know this is like a really new area of study, mm-hmm. but could we hypothesize then that for the average, perhaps younger person who hasn't developed Parkinson's or dementia mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's, could we draw a correlation between, okay, well, if you're not getting proper sleep, if the brainwashing isn't happening, then is it still building up and still toxic, just not to such a big degree mm-hmm. in the average person? Mm. Yes, so absolutely. Sleep, sleep is just so, so important. Sleep is like the sort of the, the best, the best uh, self-care ritual, if, if you will, that you can uh, do for yourself. Um, and sleep is also a very good prevention from many, many neurodegenerative diseases. And there mm. are uh, many studies, uh, correlational studies, Uh, done in people where they reported how much they slept and then in their late life scientists could measure sort of the buildup of these waste products in their brain and there was a very beautiful dose response correlation to how much they slept and those people who slept a lot had way less of these waste products in their brain which are sort of indicative of uh, neurodegeneration. So by sleeping, you literally help your brain clear out the unnecessary material from your brain to prevent such um, diseases Hmm. in the future. Yes, absolutely. So sleep is preventative medicine. Yes, absolutely. 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 And uh, I really liked um, one citation from uh, a book by Matthew Walker, who is a very well-known and a very cool sleep scientist. And he calls himself a sleep diplomat. And I would like to call myself a sleep diplomat now as well. Uh, to advocate the Im- absolute importance of sleep. And he, he says something, it's not an yeah, absolutely uh, precise quotation, of course, but he says, like, imagine uh, this therapy that will prevent Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and cardiovascular disease, and you will, f- and you will feel just amazing. Like, w- would you buy this therapy? How about I, I, if I say that it's for free, just sleep eight hours every day? And that's exactly, exactly what it is. And there's another very, um, I think, um, a statement that very well illustrates the importance of sleep uh, is a question, uh, what does uh, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, Chernobyl, oil spills, and 20% of car accidents have in common? Mm-hmm. It's lack of sleep. I mean, this is this is how it is. Wow. Yeah. So, not all sleep is the same, though. Mm-hmm. So, what do you, from a research standpoint mm-hmm. or from your background, like, what are some of the things that we need to have in place in order to ensure that we have a good quality type of sleep? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, these tips are also called um, sleep hygiene. And uh, so... To make sure that you get uh, a good quality sleep, first, no screens before sleep and several hours before sleep. No computers, no mobile phones, no iPads, no TV, no blue light. And a little bit helpful is this um, reddish filter on your phones and so on, but even that lets through some blue light that I I can talk about a bit later, why Mm. blue light is not 
um, <coughs> is not very good for your sleep. So no screens, another temperature. You have to sleep at a bit lower temperatures. So open a window, get some fresh air. Uh, uh, regularity or schedule mm. uh, every day go to bed and wake up at the same time <laughs> and uh, weekends included mm -hmm. and uh, you cannot catch up on sleep during weekend as well this does not work sadly uh, uh, yes and just create a very relaxing environment uh, clean relaxing environment don't work in bed even though maybe sometimes it's uh, really nice to do uh, but make your bedroom your sleep sanctuary. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Ugh. So you came and you taught in uh, the Atman Yoga School. We had a restore and yoga nidra training uh, a month ago or so. And you came and you taught us about different brainwave activity and what happens mm -hmm. as we're entering different states of sleep and different states of meditation. Um, of the brainwave activity and the different levels, can you tell us what's the most important one for like just an average night of sleep? Yes, so um, all your sleep is very important. There is no importanter sleep uh, states uh, or the other. So I will just uh, maybe summarize a little bit of uh, how our sleep looks like. Mm -hmm. um, so we have uh, different sleep states. And those sleep states are called uh, rapid eye movement or non-rapid eye movement. And in humans, we have several stages of this non-rapid eye movement. And it just illustrates the depth of sleep. Uh, so the non-REM sleep uh, is important um, for sort of rebuilding our body. And uh, a lot of growth hormone is secreted during our non-REM sleep, which is why non-REM sleep is also very, very important for children. Um, also during non-REM sleep, maybe this is something you have heard, um, uh, uh, it's where our memories and our daily experiences become sorted to sort of relevant and non-relevant. And the ones that are relevant are being transferred from short-term uh, memory to long-term memory. Uh, because you can just imagine, I mean, our brain has sort of limited size. You can't just put everything that you experience and we experience so much. Um, yes, so uh, sorting out our memories, tidying up. Uh, while, for example, during REM sleep, these newly built memories are being sort of integrated into what we already know, into memories that we already have, and sort of putting these new experiences and new memories into the context. How does this fit into me, into my life, into my personality as well? And uh, as we talked in the uh, restorative yoga teacher training, REM sleep can also be called our overnight therapy. Mm -hmm. And this overnight therapy, I'm also borrowing from Matthew Walker and his book, because uh, REM sleep is associated with emotional processing. So it helps, uh, it helps to deal with our traumas, with our emotional experiences, and to, to help strip off this um, emotional, painful charge sometimes from some of our memories. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not really maybe that the, the time heals, but it's REM sleep heals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it makes so much sense. Yes. No, that's true. That's true. That's yeah. True. Well, and then I want to come back to this because I think it's really interesting. And especially from like a yogic and an Ayurvedic perspective, there's a lot that those sciences say about uh, the type of healing that occurs when we are deeply restful and deep uh, in stillness. But first, can you perhaps draw a correlation between, so if you're in deep REM sleep, where would that fall on the spectrum in terms of where somebody might be if they're deep in meditation? Mm -hmm. uh, so I will compare it now to the yoga nidra practice yeah. uh, that we talked about a couple yeah. of weeks ago as well. So um through yoga nidra practice, you go through sort of four um, stages and four brain brainwave state activities, and this is going from the fastest brainwaves uh, being uh, uh, actively awake, focusing on something, just daily life activity, and then 
uh, sort of in stage two, we go to a little bit slower brain waves, which are representative of our our brain wave activity when we are just restful with our eyes closed, not really focusing on anything. And then we enter yet even deeper state, which uh, causes a little bit faster brain waves called theta waves. And at the very last stage, sort of the deepest stage of uh, yoga nidra, we enter so-called delta waves, which are um, these big, slow uh, brain waves. And these big, slow uh, brain waves, also called delta waves, are uh, one of the main characteristics of this deep non-REM sleep. So mm -hmm. you can sort of Think of it as big, slow, nourishing waves washing through your brain and bathing your brain and sort mm. of helping to build up that little damage that you actually do for yourself every day when you're awake. Um, and uh, yeah, yes, I mean, this is, this is actually a, a very interesting thing because in general, every day when we're awake, we're kind of slightly damaging us and then during sleep we're rebuilding it and then again it's slightly damaging us and then we're rebuilding it uh, <laughs> yes so yes. when we're deep in yoga nidra uh and we're in those delta wave states mm -hmm. that would be the equivalent of being right before uh deep REM sleep is that yeah. correct uh, no so no. um uh, so non-REM sleep uh so in general uh, throughout the night, we we have several sleep cycles. And a sleep cycle uh, is approximately 90 minutes long, where we go through the different non-REM sleep stages, and then we enter REM sleep finally, and then we cycle again. Non-REM, one, two, three, four, REM. And then 90 minutes again, non-REM, one, two, three, oh, okay. four, REM. So actually, the big, big delta waves come right before the REM sleep. Yes. Come okay. right before dreaming. And REM sleep is the dream sleep when we dream. And dreams help us being creative, process our emotions, and um, so on. Okay. Okay. So that's what I was thinking. But, uh -huh. um, it's coming back to this idea of Ayurveda, the sister science of yoga, talking about how one of the most important things we can do for ourselves is actually have a strong connection to our emotional body. And if we repress emotion, if we mm -hmm. avoid emotion, uh, it will ultimately manifest in some form of physical ailment. So we actually can make our, according to Ayurveda, we can make ourselves sick if mm -hmm. we don't have some kind of healthy release mm -hmm. of emotion. Mm -hmm. And so this ties right in with um, if you're not getting a good quality sleep, mm -hmm. we know, I know this from personal experience, like if you go through a period in life where perhaps you're having, dealing with some personal challenges or something weird is going on and you're not sleeping well, you're like, oh, I just want to sleep, but you can't because your brain is going too quickly or something's going on in your body. And it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, I just need to rest. I just need to feel better. Why am I so off course all the time? And then you try to sleep and sleep doesn't come. And so then the next day you feel even more agitated, more mm -hmm. out of control. And that's exactly in line with yoga and Ayurveda where, mm -hmm. okay, how do we create habits or self-care rituals mm -hmm. that allow us to slow down the brainwave activity enough mm -hmm. so that we can perhaps get to a state of deep sleep? Mm -hmm. And those two... Uh, areas that you're talking about, the deeper end of the non-REM, mm -hmm. non-REM, is it REM or, or rapid eye movement? Is that correct to you say REM? say REM, REM. Yes, okay. Yes, yes. okay. <laughs> <laughs> or being in the deep REM sleep where the dreams mm -hmm. are coming in, mm -hmm. since those are the two areas where emotions get processed mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. are dealt with to some degree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here I would like to also mention... Um, that regarding emotional processing and the importance of REM sleep in emotional processing. Um, so there are studies done with um, uh, war veterans which have um, who has uh, PTSD. So uh, it has been known for quite some time that their REM sleep is uh, worse than in um, uh, healthy adults. Mm -hmm. So they first they have less REM sleep and that REM sleep is more fragmented and they don't go as deep uh, into REM sleep. And um, there was one hypothesis that maybe they do not enter this REM sleep as efficiently as healthy adults. 
um, because uh, their, br their brain neurochemical environment is different. And to put it simply, they have more of one of the stress hormones, adrenaline, in their brain during mm -hmm. REM sleep, and this prevents them from entering REM sleep. So there were studies done where these war veterans with PTSD symptoms were given a drug that sort of helped to reduce the levels of adrenaline in their brain, which then resulted in them uh, getting more and better REM sleep and improving their uh, PTSD symptoms. So they wow. were actually getting better from it. So REM sleep, definitely uh, very important for our emotional health. Yeah, yes. which is, you know, such an important thing in general mm -hmm. that I think society at large is starting to catch up to this idea. Like, it's not cool to be cool. <laughs> it's actually cool to have some dialogue and to, to process and feel emotion um, because then we are more healthy mm. <laughs> in so many different ways. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I would like to... Um, clarify a little bit what uh, being sleep deprived mm. or what lack of sleep means because I'm very sure that many of you think that you're fine with your sleep at least this is something uh, I, I speak from my experience people saying oh I function totally fine sleeping six hours a night mm. and of course I'm talking about people who can allow themselves to sleep more I'm not talking about parents of young children <laughs> or other situations so uh, no uh, hard feelings there um, so studies show that uh, sleeping um, six hours a night for 10 days is equal to not sleeping at all for one um, day for, for 24 hours. Uh, so sleeping less, in general, sleeping less than eight hours does damage. Mm -hmm. uh, and even though you feel that you function fine, there are also other studies that show that dun, da, da, dun, sleep deprived people are very bad at judging themselves of how bad they are. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the, these studies are usually done... Uh, using some uh, cognitive tasks, focus attention. For example, they stare at, a, at a, a computer screen and they have to press the mouse button when a red dot comes. And then they think they're fine, but they lag like two seconds. Mm. And just imagine how that translates into you driving. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one thing I know for myself too is a lot of people joke like they get hangry. Like if they don't get enough food and are, are you, you're hangry, it's because you're pitta. <laughs> yes, that's true. No, that's true. That's true. I'm vata, <laughs> so I need more rest. I need to be more slow. So when I don't get enough sleep or when I feel overwhelmed or overworked, mm -hmm. I get to the point where I get uh, tangry mm. is the word I call it. <laughs> I get angry because I'm tired and I'm, I get actually to the point where I'm like a five-year-old having a tantrum. If I don't catch myself early enough, like I'll just, I can't regulate my emotions mm -hmm. like a normal adult. And so I start crying and getting irrational and it's, it's not pretty. I, mm -hmm. I had a, a breakdown maybe like five years ago in a ski shop <laughs> in Park City. <laughs> and it was like, I, I'm like having this uh, like intense emotional reaction. And then I'm like, why can't I just like <laughs> control what's happening? And it's like, I notice it a lot in myself and um, I do not like when that happens. So I really try to make sure it doesn't. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I would also like to talk a little bit um, that sleep can actually um, cause actual changes to the biological matter of your brain and it can actually cause changes to your DNA, which is sort of the the code of us, if, if, if we can say that. So um, people who are uh, chronically sleep deprived or sleep less than Seven, seven or six and a half hours a night. Yes, this is still sleep deprived. Um, uh, studies also show that, um, so our DNA, uh, uh, we can imagine that our DNA is like a shoelace. It's a, it's, a, it's a strand of DNA. This is how it is called. It's a strand of DNA. And it is known that with age, uh, our DNA becomes shorter and shorter, becomes sort of ruined at the tips. And this, you can think of it as your shoelaces being uh, sort of uh, ru ruined uh, the more you use your shoes. And we also have these plastic caps at the end of our shoelaces. And our DNA has 
very similar thing, which is sort of a protective cap, which is called a telomere. You don't have to remember it, but it's a cool <laughs> word, telomere. Um, and it is shown that people uh, who are sleep deprived and who sleep less, their protective caps of their DNA or their these telomeres, they become shorter, quicker than in people who get enough sleep. So literally sleeping enough, even though you're spending your life sleeping, will you can't say that it brings you longer sleep because your DNA is not broken down as fast as in people who lack sleep, actually. Mm -hmm. Same thing actually happens with meditation. Uh, meditators, uh, experienced meditators, they also, ha um, they also have sort of uh, more protective uh, sh shoe caps on their DNA. So their mm -hmm. DNA stays unbroken uh, for a longer time wow. uh, compared to non-meditators. Mm. Yeah. And there's actually, I, I don't think you're actually involved in the research, but you, one of your professors mm. is doing some med meditation research at the University of Oslo. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So he, he has done, uh, so there is a professor uh, at the University of Oslo. He has done some studies on, uh, on um, a type of uh, uh, transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah. But it's still, it's not very... <laughs> well-funded or very uh, right. popular. But it's still, I think, really yeah. interesting. And every once in a while, we'll see more and more research like popping up. I know Harvard mm. did a big study a few years ago on meditation in the brain. And it's no surprise to anybody who does yoga <laughs> or mm. meditates that exactly what the research is proving is what mm. we already know. And that has to do with how we can regulate emotion better. We do sleep better. Yeah, yeah. We're feeling more uh, contentment, more feelings of peace and calm within, and more of an ability to focus. Like, mm -hmm. that's the crazy one, is same thing, especially when you see all these people taking more and more uh, pharmaceutical medications to do these things, to fall asleep, <laughs> to control their emotions, yeah. <laughs> to focus so they can do their school or their work or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, okay. Mm -hmm. How do we get rid of the quick fix and get back to nature a little bit and really create uh, a supportive environment around ourselves that allows us to calm down, to mm -hmm. slow down, and to say no? And this is also a big buzzword with like self-care rituals mm -hmm. is boundaries. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not very cool to be like, no, sorry, I can't go to the party. I can't go to the dinner. I can't go to the coffee because I'm too tired. <laughs> Usually it's like, okay, hustle, power through. Just, okay, I'll have another cup of coffee and then I'll meet you at the coffee house. <laughs> coffee, monster. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Or people are trying to, I talk about this in teacher training all the time, how when we think about relaxation, there's this pattern in our modern society where we work, 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 work. Then we go on vacation and we go somewhere warm. We lay in the sun drink a lot of alcohol, eat a lot of uh, salty food. And we're like, okay, mm. I earned it. I mm. deserve to take a break. Mm. This is my vacation. I do what I want. And then you get home mm. and you're exhausted. Likely you're going to get sick because you've just been like, yeah. it's not true relaxation. Yeah. It's not nourishing, deep cellular relaxation. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why like, I think it's such an important topic to talk about is there is another way to live. It doesn't have to be this like, burning the candle at both ends and just like go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. Because so many people are hitting the wall, especially mm -hmm. in Norway. Mm -hmm. So many people are on sick leave. And, you know, getting the word out about, okay, there's an alternative, a healthy alternative. It's called sleep. Yes. <laughs> it's no, like, absolutely, yes. it's like we're revolutionaries here <laughs> talking yes. about yes. do yoga, meditate and go to bed earlier. Yes. It's for free. It's accessible. I know. Well, Sleep. it's yes. well, unfortunately, the marketers, you know, from wherever they are, have done yeah. too good of a job because a lot of people don't see value in anything unless there is some sort of monetary mm. attachment to it. So if we were to all of a sudden sell sleep therapy yeah. for like, you know, a thousand kroner an hour, yeah. I mean, people would be lined up around the door like, oh my God, give me yes. some of your drugs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would like to, so you mentioned alcohol yeah. during vacation. Uh, I would actually like to touch a little bit upon alcohol and yeah. for example, caffeine. Um, so I heard many people also say that, oh, just take a shot of something strong before mm. sleep and you'll sleep like a baby. 
And it, it might feel like that, but it is definitely not the case. Uh, so you might feel that you're sleeping um, af after having like a whiskey or something. It might feel that you're sleeping very deep and you don't dream. Maybe you just wake up in the morning, but somehow you don't really feel very well rested. Mm. And this is because you don't, your sleep quality is much worse, is much worse. You don't necessarily wake up or your sleep maybe is not uh, sort of fragmented, but you definitely don't get a good night's sleep. So I would like to break this... Uh, non-true mm. uh, fact <laughs> yes wise uh, tale yes yes absolutely 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 and same goes for caffeine so caffeine up to lunch early afternoon sure go ahead uh but after that, there are people with different levels of metabolism. So caffeine stays in your system. And even though you might feel fine, you fall asleep. But again, the, your sleep quality is not as good because you have caffeine in your system. Yes. Mm. Mm. Can we... <laughs> I want to change topics a little bit. Oh, sure, I'm just sure. like, I'm dying to talk about this. I want to talk about dreams. Okay, sure. That's what, from a scientific standpoint... What do or what does neuroscience say happens when we dream? Yes. So uh, basically what happens when we dream is, uh, so we dream mostly uh, during our REM sleep or this rapid eye movement sleep. And what happens that uh, during our REM sleep, uh, our prefrontal cortex or sort of our in-house mom that it checks up on everything and sort of uh, keeps our inhibitions in place as well. Mm. Uh, the mom is sleeping. <laughs> so then the sort of the, 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 our mind and our brain can uh, just go, go ahead and be as creative or as crazy as you will, which is why our dreams are relatively crazy or might not make uh, very well sense. And what is actually happen happening dur during our dreams is that our... Uh, newly obtained experiences, our new memories, as I mentioned before, uh, they're being uh, sort of connected to everything else that we already have in our brain. Our already, the experiences that we already have and uh, the memories that we already have. So these new members of our brains, uh, so to say, are being integrated and incorporated uh, into what we already know. And this sort of results in us dreaming and in us seeing uh, these very bizarre movies when we are sleeping. Yeah. And um, um, so during REM sleep um, in healthy adults, uh, our muscles are disconnected from the body. So we have something that is called muscle atonia. So we don't start reenacting our dreams and, and walking around and uh, and so on. So I yeah. thought, always thought that this is uh, really cool. And I don't know if anybody uh, of you have ever experienced something that is called sleep terrors, oh. which is when you wake up uh, during REM sleep before your muscles were sort of reconnected to your brain. So then you wake up, you cannot move, and it's very scary, and you're still in this sort of hallucinatory dream state. But it wears off, it goes off, and then uh, you wake up. But it might be very scary, especially if you haven't, if you don't know what it is or, or that it will go away. Mm. So now you know. Don't get too scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I... I had that happen to me a few times in college mm. when I would take a nap in the middle of, like, in between classes in the mm. middle of the day. And it was so freaky. And I would always try and jumpstart my body yeah. where I'd be, like, laying there. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to imagine that somebody's coming into my room and I need to, like, stand up and, you know, protect mm -hmm. myself or something. And I couldn't make my body do it. Yeah. Mm. And then I would freak myself out even more because my mind mm. was like, oh, my God, was somebody coming? Even though nobody was. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yes. And so when I went online and I was online trying to do research, of course, always a bad idea. Yes. <laughs> and it was oh. all I found were a bunch of like old, um, like, uh, ghost stories mm. about it meant that there was a ghost in your room and they were going to mm. steal your soul. And I was like, well, I don't know about that, but wow. yeah, absolutely. And, uh, dreams and our 
dream sleep or REM sleep is also very important for our creativity and uh, creative problem um, mm-hmm. solution. So there are these legends that, you know, uh, Mendeleev came up with a periodic table of chemical elements in his dreams. And um, there are also other stories. Now, I don't remember one super famous scientist, which name now I don't remember which who, who was that, but he uh, there, there's a legend that uh, when he was falling asleep, he was thinking about a certain problem that he couldn't solve. And then in his hands, he would hold like some um, kind of metal figures that would create a lot of sound when they fall. Because then when he would fall into REM sleep, when our muscles get disconnected from the brain, he would drop these balls and then, or, or whatever structures he was holding, and then they would make noise. And then he would wake up in this dream, still having these creative solutions in his hmm. dreams, still remember them and write them down. And uh, there are many of uh, sort of Silicon Valley tech mm. guys. And, and uh, there's this one uh, very famous futurist, Ray Kurzweil. So they're sort of hacking their dreams, hacking lucid dreaming mm. to, for creative problem solving and sort of thinking about some issue that they cannot uh, solve uh, during their wakefulness. So they need, the, they need this uh, sort of uninhibited uh, creativeness that we can achieve uh, during REM sleep. Mm. Yeah, so it's a lot. And lucid dream, by the way, lucid dreaming is real. I I did not know that that was real. I always thought, oh, that's too good to be true. Uh, so I haven't hacked lucid dreaming, dreaming yet, but there is actually research and scientific papers showing that mm. people uh, can be, uh, well, conscious or awake. But um, so studies have been done that... Um, Researchers asked people who can lucid the dream so they can sort of be awake in a dream and sort of control or explore their dream. Um, uh, the researchers told to these people that, okay, so when you get to the dream, uh, signal to me by three or four eye movements hmm. or hand movements. And then they can measure uh, the movement of the eyes and then when people are lucid dreaming, they signal with eyes three times that, hey, I'm lucid dreaming. And you can actually measure that. And it's it's just amazing. I can So we can put something maybe in the episode notes or all the literature or something yes. that people will be yeah, yeah. Uh, well, interested. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, that I was just blown away by that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's why I wanted to talk about dreams too, is yeah. because um, it's funny Science takes a while sometimes to catch up to what yogis have known forever. Yes, I know. (laughs) Dream study, dream interpretation, lucid dreaming, using the brainwave states. Like, of course, the yogis didn't know what to call it at that time. But, um, I mean, dream dreams and um, the things that come through through us, through dreams, were talked about in the Upanishads, like one of the older uh, authorities or texts that that yogis use to kind of figure out what they're doing um, when they practice yoga. The sutras, the yoga sutras talk about dreams. Like, it's amazing that things that have been written thousands of years Mm -hmm. ago or at the time passed down orally even, so before the written word, um, this was something Mm -hmm. that yogis and meditators were working with. Mm -hmm. And the belief was that if you could do this lucid dreaming, mm. you would be able to problem solve. But mm. the types of problem solving that yogis were working with weren't <laughs> like, okay, how do we f- come up with the newest software? Yes. <laughs> yes. It was more like, okay, well, how do we get into a clearer connection with spirit? <laughs> how do we find more peace and more contentment within if we're able to kind of control the information that the brain takes in during sleep and dream states? Mm. And I find it so fascinating because there's so many like actual practical um, concrete exercises that we do both in yoga and of course kind of outside the scope of yoga, but in this like dream world interpretation, um, dream journals. Mm. Is a big thing. Have you ever done that? No. Mm. no. Gratitude journal, I have done. Yes, so at yes, least that's yes. Yes. <laughs> I know. And that's the next thing I want to talk talk about really quickly. But um, having a dream journal and you can train your brain to remember your dreams mm. the more often that you write about it and you wake up in the morning mm. and you have a notebook and just write in like, okay, purple, ocean, sea, 
person, whatever your dream is. And then the more often that you do that, the easier it becomes for you to remember your dreams. And then you actually can start to play within that scape to answer questions right before you fall asleep. You have a particular thing like, okay, what should I do in this situation? And you plant that question right before you fall asleep. And then it's more likely that you're going to have some sort of a resolution in your dream. And a lot of people say that your dreams are just the byproduct of your day. It's like, oh, yeah, like you see yourself sitting on a bed because you just went to a podcast event at a bed store. Or, yeah, it could actually be a prophecy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is actually something I would like to comment upon. Uh, uh, so I also heard many people say that uh, in your dreams, you sort of replay your day, your daily activities. And so it's related to that. But it's actually more related to the emotional charge of your day mm-hmm. and how you feel and your stresses and your fears. For example, yesterday when I went to bed, I dreamt that I had a lecture in some kind of church. But when I stood there I forgot everything I had to say and I think this is because I was stressing because of <laughs> of our live podcast yeah. and, and so on and another tip from my mom how to better remember dreams which might be just some sort of Lithuanian wisdom is not to shift sides when you wake up so if you wake up on your right side don't turn on your left side <laughs> because then you will remember dreams better and it worked for me for 28 years yes yes <laughs> So one thing I want to talk about, and then we're going to open this up and take some questions from you guys too. So if you have questions for Laura, you can start thinking about that. Um, When we talk about gratitude journals Mm -hmm. and we talk about the impact of positive thinking versus negative thinking, Mm -hmm. can you talk about what actually happens in the Mm -hmm. brain? And is this just some woo-woo thing that people are like, think good thoughts, (laughs) good vibes only? Yes. Uh, No, no, absolutely not. So this is something that we have discussed in in the restorative yoga teacher training as well. So when we think thoughts, uh, things happen in our brain. There are actual chemical changes that are happening in our brain and uh, our brain cells or neurons in one part of the brain are talking to neurons in the other part of the brain. So by thinking something, you actually make changes to the actual biology in your brain. And we also know um, something that is called long-term potentiation. Uh, this is a very scientific term, but basically what it means that the more uh, often you do something, the better you become at it, which is the basis of learning. So the more times, for example, you, you want to learn to play piano, so you start, and it doesn't go very well for a long time, but it's getting slightly better, slightly better, slightly better. And why is that? It's because you are sort of You are building new pathways in your brain to learn this activity, to remember how to do this activity. And more, the more often you do it, the better this highway becomes, sort of. The smoother you can perform this activity. And this is very similar uh, to your thoughts. The more sort of positive thoughts you think that bring you good memories, for example. So... Uh, It, uh, when it brings you good memories, there are some sort of good chemicals uh, uh, secreted in, in, in your brain th- uh, that uh, brings you pleasant feelings. And the, the more good thoughts you think, so your gratitude journals, uh, the, the more sort of happy thoughts that you think, uh, then these pathways are sort of strengthened and it's easier to get into this good mode or this good state. And sadly, the same goes for your bad or sad thoughts, you know, thinking that, let's say, oh no, I cannot do this. I remember last time I tried something new. That was just so bad and sad and embarrassing if something happened, you know. And then you you just sort of reinforce this bad highway mm. uh, in a way uh, there's I, I will not I, I wouldn't say that there's a like rock hard science to prove that but uh, it is a scientific fact that uh, by thinking 
you are actually changing some um, biological properties um, in your brain that some cells become activated. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so the more often that we think positive thoughts or we train ourselves to have positive reactions to experiences, Mm -hmm. then the stronger that connection becomes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is the outcome? Like, why do we care about that? (laughs) I guess that's a personal question for everyone, but in general... Good thoughts, good vibes. Uh, when we feel, uh, what actually means to feel good? Uh, also, uh, usually it, it means that we feel safe, mm-hmm. right? We feel uh, sort of supported or we feel in a safe environment. Feeling in a safe environment helps to put our body into a state which is more rest and digest mm-hmm. than fight or flight when we're sort of on the edge looking for dangers. Mm-hmm. And rest and digest, that's exactly what it means. Rest, rebuild, whatever was sort of broken or or used up uh, during fight or flight. Uh, And this, uh, I would like to talk a little bit about this fight or flight and rest and digest. So fight or flight is our state uh, when we are very focused, very aware of our surroundings, our stress hormones are higher uh, or all our energy is sort of mobilized more towards muscles because we're ready to fleet if, if something happens. And this was super useful in very early days when there was a lion behind a bush trying to catch us. But these days, we don't really experience the, sort of this situation, the, the situation so much, but we, st- we are chronic, well, most of us are chronically stressed because of the pace of life, of work, uh, the kids, kindergarten, dog, go to forest and stuff like that. So we're constantly in this kind of elevated stress level. So it is super important to allow ourselves to go to rest and digest whenever we can. Uh, yeah, so good sleep, meditation, or just sitting and breathing, um, mm. relaxing, yoga nidra. <laughs> yes, yoga nidra, yes. Mm-hmm. What have you seen? Um, you talked a little bit earlier about how the actual physical matter of the brain can change when people meditate. Yeah. Have you seen research on that or what can yeah. you say about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, the... Uh, mass of the brain. Uh, With age, uh, the mass of our brain, for example, the mass of our cortex, uh, the most superficial part of the brain, and the mass of our gray matter, where all the cell bodies, where all the neurons are, so all the information processors are, uh, it shrinks. So with age, our brain is sort of being eaten away. And this is something that happens. However, uh, when you compare uh, experienced meditators versus uh, people who have not meditated, you see that experienced meditators, uh, they sustain, uh, they do not lose so much brain matter uh, uh, when compared to non-meditators. And here there's actually even a dose-response relationship Mm. that the sort of the more they meditated, the more years they meditated, the less affected uh, their brain volume was. Hmm. So there's actually change changes there. And uh, one study I can remember uh, that one of the biggest change was also seen in a brain part called the hippocampus, which is uh, our sort of the memory center of the brain. So the meditators had a non-affected or mm. barely affected hippocampus compared to people who aged without meditation, which hippocampus uh, shrunk. Mm. Mm. So if somebody's meditating a lot, has a regular practice, and getting eight hours of sleep oh, a night. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's a person who are most likely non-degeneration, hopefully. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And both of those... Are free. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe hmm. maybe that's why they're so unpopular. I know. I, I mean, that's my personal theory about it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's so much good information here. Oh, I just want to keep talking. But um, I think we're going to open it up and see if anybody has a question for Laura. Just raise your hand and you can say the question and I'll call on you and then um, I'll repeat it. So if you have any burning questions for Laura about the brain, about sleep, about meditation. Uh, yeah. Johanna. Um, that feeling when you fall asleep and your muscles like 
it feels like you're falling. Mm. Is it the same muscle atonia you talked about, the disconnection of the muscles? Mm -hmm. Is that the same? Um, so we received the question asking about <laughs> the feeling when we fall asleep and the feeling that our we lose control of our muscles or the, the feeling that we're falling. And uh, the girl, Johanna, was asking if it's the same muscle atonia during REM sleep. But uh, no, it is not. Uh, yes, uh, because when you fall asleep, so at first you go through this other sleep state Um non-REM sleep and then you go through some other sleep states until you actually get to this uh, REM sleep or muscle uh, the sleep with muscle atonia um, yeah and then you kind of even on people falling asleep and sleeping you, you can even feel this see this as you actually mm -hmm. once mentioned during yoga nidra this sort of settling down it's uh, it's the muscle tonus that also gets released mm. it's it's not so much the voluntary sort of control of our muscles uh, but just really relaxing yes mm. Mm -hmm. yes my question is about light and sleep oh. yeah. i didn't grow up in norway and i have real problems mm. with me too now i feel like oh i need so much sleep yes uh, i can punch you Could you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so light and sleep. <laughs> so this is uh, something that is related to our um, circadian rhythmicity. Uh, so this controls when we go to sleep and when we wake up. And light is a very, very powerful cue. Uh, so when there is light, we wake up. When there is no light, we go to sleep. And this is why uh, sort of phones and all the screens and all the light that enters our eyes. And then it is sort of the information is transferred to a place in the brain that's called suprachiasmatic nucleus, which, reg which is sort of our biological clock. Um, Uh, so when if, if our biological clock gets the signal that there is light, it will not induce uh, sleep. So my advice would be heavily black curtains or an eye patch <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. to block out the light. Um, yeah. So what about in winter? <laughs> oh yes! Oh yes! So all the time. I see. I see. Well, I, you can. I have one of those lights. Yes. Kind of I, I get kind of jet lag. Yeah. Where then I keep myself up to to proper bedtime. Yeah. And I, I'm over tired and I can't. Yeah, move. I see. I see. And then I, then I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I see. Well, you. I guess you're very, very sensitive towards uh, this light, and I mean, in general, if we would follow the seasonal rhythms and and the light rhythms, we should sleep more during winter and less during uh, summer, and this is usually what happens. So, if if you can allow yourself to sleep more <laughs> during winter, I guess. <laughs> so it's hard in Norway. Yes, yes. when we have such wide ranges of mm. of light and darkness. Yeah. Good. All right, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. Yes, sure, sure. Yay! Oh, it was fun. It was so It fun. was so fun. I want to thank you so much, Laura, oh, for no being problem. here and sharing um, all of your information. And um, I think there will be more coming out because I think we have a lot more to talk about. With, Absolutely. With the brain and sleep and these more healthy, restful patterns that we can create for ourselves mm -hmm. so that we can be more integrated, happy, healthy beings and not so tired and worn out all the time. So um, you guys can just listen up for announcements for hopefully some more events or Thanks. some more collaborations together. So um, I want to thank you and I want to thank Thanks. all of you guys so much for coming and being here. And um, we just really appreciate it. And I really appreciate it for supporting uh, my podcast. So thank you all. Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks. Good, no good night. Good night. <laughs>